and welcome to Bites of History with Irene Walton. I'm your host, Irene Walton. And today we are talking about the history of famous Disney foods part two. Have you ever wondered how it made it to your table? Have you ever wondered how it made it to your shelf? If you love food, then this is the show for you. Bites of History with Irene. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's part two episode of famous foods that are from Disneyland, that are associated with Disneyland. I miss Disneyland, if that wasn't clear. <laughs> right up top, I want to thank all of my patrons. It is so exciting to see a lot of new faces coming into the Patreon. If you guys would like to be one of those new faces, you can check it out right there at patreon.com slash Irene Walton. That's me. The Patreon starts at only $2, so you guys can get in for just $2 a month. It really helps support this podcast, and it means a lot to me. So thank you so much to everyone who's joined, and thank you so much for checking it out. Also, you guys know we are going to thank our sources, obviously. We couldn't do this podcast without them. So thank you to DisneyParks.Disney.Go.com, HawaiiOceanProject.com, DisneyFoodBlog.com, SFGate.com, MASH.com, FifthSense.org.uk, and AllEars.net. Thank you so much to our lovely sources. We're going to hop right in, you guys. We're talking about the history of famous Disneyland foods, and I cannot wait to start. Last week, we got to cover that Doritos were invented at Disneyland. I know that was like crazy news to a lot of you. It was to me, too. We talked about Coca-Cola. We talked about sponsored restaurants. We had a great episode, and we are going to continue that trend. Today, we are going to be talking about Dole Whip turkey legs, and the smell that gets pumped into certain areas of the park. So starting out with the history of Dole Whips, I found out a couple of incredibly interesting things, three to be exact. The first is that not everybody is as absolutely feral for a Dole Whip as me, my mom, and my brother are, which is crazy because that seems incorrect to me. The second is that pineapples are not native to Hawaii. The whole history of Dole and Hawaii and pineapples can be its own episode in and of itself. If you'd like me to do one, I'm happy to do it. But basically, everybody thought that pineapples were like native to Hawaii. Hawaii was the biggest producer of pineapples forever, which was the case in the 1930s. But Basically, Dole went to, Mr. Dole went to Hawaii in 1901, planted a bunch of uh, pineapple trees. They definitely flourished, but they're not native to Hawaii. Um, And then by the 30s, Hawaii was the largest producer of pineapples. However, when the 1990s came around and Dole and Del Monte had been out of Hawaii for a while, Hawaii became like only 10% of the pineapple production in the world. So, That was number two. I was shocked to find that out. I always equated Hawaii with pineapples, and I guess that's what Big Pineapple wants you to think. So (laughs) moving on from that, the third most interesting thing I found out about Dole Whip is that it's not even exclusive to Disneyland. Just to give you a little backstory on like Dole x Disney and how they are associated in the first place, we can pop back to 1968 where Walt Disney opens the Tiki Juice Room. It's pretty popular. It's going well. And then eight years later in 1976, Dole is like, let me sponsor that. 
And Disney's like, you got it, mama. Just like a lot of other restaurants had been sponsored, like we talked about last episode, like the Chicken of the Sea ship and uh, the Coca-Cola refreshment corner. This was the same thing, but with Dole and juice. They were exclusively selling um, pineapple spears and pineapple juice at the time. But cut to the early 80s, we meet Kathy Westfall, who a lot of us have to thank for the invention of the Dole Whip. Kathy Westfall is a newly graduated UC Davis graduate alum, alumna, whatever that is called. She's just freshly out of college and she gets a job. And at that job, she is tasked with creating a non-dairy alternative that can stand up to the heat of Walt Disney World Parks in Florida. And she has a background in ice cream, which is really cool, like uh, recipe development and ice cream development. And so she says, okay, no problem. Non-dairy doesn't melt too quickly. Awesome. I couldn't find too much about like her process of creating the Dole Whip and like how we, you know, took the dairy out and did this and did that. But she did it. And that's what's important. (laughs) And we first see our Dole Whip debut in Walt Disney World's The Magic Kingdom in 1984. And it is a massive success. Now, while it was invented with Disney in mind and Florida heat in mind, it wasn't exclusive to Disney. Which is what I found to be like so interesting. I always thought that if you saw like quote unquote dole whips in at a zoo or an amusement park, I was like, oh, those are just fake ones. They're absolutely not. They have no exclusivity to Disney. They can be licensed to be sold anywhere. You can see them at uh, like Dodger Stadium or zoos like Wherever you're seeing a Dole Whip, it's probably actually Dole Whip, which is so cool. It's just become incredibly synonymous with Disneyland because it kind of just like exploded in popularity through Disney. And thank God for that. It's my mom's favorite. (laughs) So it's nice to know that you can get it other places. I love Dole Whip. Also, there are apparently other flavors. I've never tried any of the other flavors. I think that there's like strawberry Dole Whip, watermelon and cherry and things like that. Some people really don't like the pineapple, which is insane to me. But like, whatever, get strawberry. I've never had one, but that's because I have the pineapple option. (laughs) That's where Dole Whip came from. Just an invention that's purely like... We need something non-dairy sweet and can stay cold. And Kathy Westfall was like, lit, you got it. So now let's move on to turkey legs. I will tell you what, when I think of like amusement park fair, I don't necessarily think of like hot, large and meaty. (laughs) Maybe that's just me. I'm more of like a popcorn, pretzel, popsicle kind of gal when I go to Disneyland. But the turkey legs are incredibly popular, and there are a lot of reasons why. Now, the history of why turkey legs are at Disneyland is relatively uneventful, but Disneyland is the reason they became synonymous with amusement parks in the first place. Turkey legs started gaining popularity in the 1960s at like Renaissance fairs because that was like a thing a lot of people did. Uh, They got popular at Renaissance fairs because it was like, how the people of our old days used to eat. Is that a medieval accent? That's all you have to go off of. So you're going to have to say yes with me on that one. It was supposed to be like, oh, our medieval ancestors used to eat with their hands and rip off the meat from the bone and da 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 da. So it was just kind of like a kitschy little Renaissance kind of vibe. And it carried over regionally outside of these Renaissance fairs. Other fairs and carnivals were like, oh, people like turkey legs at that one. Like, let's serve them here. And then it trickled into Disneyland. 
We first see the turkey legs appear at Frontierland in Walt Disney World, Florida, and it very quickly travels around the 43 square mile radius of that Orlando amusement park, then traveling all the way over to Disneyland, and it becomes ubiquitous with the Disney name. These turkey legs are flying out of the carts. Now, to dispel some rumors that a very gorgeous actor, who if anybody knows Zachary Levy, you can send him my way, One day when Zachary Levy was on Conan, uh, which is a late night talk show, if you're not aware, he was talking about Disneyland and the turkey legs came up and he said, you know, I had a friend who told me they were actually emu legs and everybody went into quite the tizzy about it. I can assure you as as the head chef at all of Disney has assured us, as I think like a bunch of food scientists tested this, they're not emu legs. They're turkey legs. The reason that they look different and taste a little different than you would expect a turkey leg to taste is because they are actually brined with this salt sugar solution that's a lot more um, synonymous with ham. So that's why it gets this kind of pink hue and this sort of hammy, not turkey-ish flavor um, because it's just simply prepared in a different way that we're not used to for turkey because we usually only have turkey once a year and it's like roasted. So that's why these turkey legs look and taste a little bit different. The North American Disney parks find these turkey legs to be so popular. We are eating about 2 million of them every year between Walt Disney World and Disneyland. And that's just, that's a lot of turkey legs. I do not love the turkey leg. If somebody I'm with like gets one, I'll have a bite. But I'm sort of just like, I would much rather have like a Mickey shaped ice cream. You know what I mean? Leave in the comments below or leave a review on this podcast letting me know if you like the Disney turkey legs or just if you have them at your, you know, local fair or whatever. I just, I don't know. To me, it's not like a little portable snack, but it seems like it is to everybody. It is to 2 million other people a year. So what do I know? Okay, we are going to move on to our last topic of today's episode, which is the scents that get pumped into Disney parks and what they do to us. Now, if you are somebody like me who spent a lot of your teenage years watching historical documentaries on Disneyland and Disney World, um, you will know that they do a lot of things behind the scenes that make Disney so magical. I was just having a conversation about this yesterday. The things that make Disneyland so special and such, I mean, I really do believe it is such a magical little place, is all of these behind the scenes actions that they take. Like if you guys are aware of the color no no see em green or no show green, it's like been scientifically proven to be the color that our eyes are least likely to notice. And that's what Disney paints all of the stuff they don't want us to see that they can't hide. So like pipes or the Club 33 door. Oh my God, should we do a whole episode about Club 33? That might be interesting. Is that how we should round out the Disneyland episodes? Leave that in the comments below too, please. That would be awesome. But yeah, so Disney does all of these little tricks, these special colors, these certain things. It's very, very interesting. And one of the ones that I find most fascinating is the sense that they pump into the parks in, di- in different areas of the parks even. So Disney knows that 
Our sense of smell is the most closely related to memory. I can guarantee that every single person listening right now has been walking, you know, through an elementary school and you smell a whiteboard marker and immediately you're transported back to third grade Mrs. Johnson's class where you finally got to go up and write your first math problem on the board, whatever it was. Scent is so, so closely related to memory. And we all know Disney isn't going to miss out on that opportunity. So they use these things called smellitzers. I do think they should be called smellitizers. Everywhere I looked, it said smellitzers. It's spelled S-M-E-L-L-I-T-Z-E-R-S. It should be smellitizer, right? Whatever. These are the contraptions that pump these scents into the parks. Now, it could be to enhance our experience. It could be to try to get us to buy something. Like um, right around Main Street where there's the confections and all the like candies and stuff. They they pipe in um, the smell of like fresh baked cookies, fresh baked pies so that we're like, oh, that smells really good. And yeah, of course, like they are making that stuff, but the smell doesn't get that far. So they pump these smells in. So we're like, oh, maybe like a little treat does sound good right now. On Main Street, they pipe in the smell of popcorn so that we want to eat popcorn and also have these memories of like, oh, my God, popcorn and joy and happiness and magic. And it works. I'll tell you what. And if you guys have ever been on a Soren ride uh, here in uh, Los Angeles, well, I guess in Anaheim, but in, at California Adventure, they have Soren over California. And that whole ride is all about your senses. It like lifts you up and flies you over California. You smell oranges. You smell um, ocean water. It's like that's the whole gag of the ride. And it's great. I love that ride. I love that ride. <laughs> I should have said something more eloquent, but I just really like that ride. It's it's a trick. Well, I don't I don't want I don't want to say a trick because it's not like they're not hiding it. It's just it's a thing they do that heightens our experience and makes Disney just a little more magical. They do this even in their resorts, like in the lobbies of their hotels. So like there will be jasmine in one hotel lobby and then there will be ginger and lemongrass in a different hotel lobby. They really really work using this like this olfactory sense that we have, they really take good advantage of it. I don't want it to come off bad. I love this thing, but they are using it to be like, we know that your smell is important. So we're going to make that a part of the experience. And that's so cool. Oh my gosh. Okay. So like, oh, and during this time of year, I know it's almost the holidays. So they pump in a lot of like peppermint scents and cookie scents. And it just like brings you back to Disney when you're not even there which is really, really powerful and a very important tactic that they use. And I think is even cooler to learn about because so, it's it's not like magic where when you see that the trick is done, you're like, oh, OK, whatever. Now I'm like, oh, my God, I want to make sure I, like the next time I go to Disney, I'm going to really like sniff around. <laughs> oh, and this is my last thing about our smells of Disney. One of my favorite scents of Disneyland is that sweet, sweet Pirates of the Caribbean water, baby. We all just smelled it in our brains. Now, the thing that makes that water such a specific scent is the bromine. It's a chemical that sanitizes the water and gives it that very, very distinct Disneyland water scent. I really love it. I know that's probably gross. 
<laughs> but I love getting into Pirates of the Caribbean and spelling bromine. Anyway, you guys, that is our second installment of famous Disneyland food history. I hope you liked it. Leave in the comments something that you've learned from this episode. And please, please, please make sure to check out my Patreon. Again, it's only $2 a month to join. And we have a really good time in there. Thank you very much for listening. If you guys wouldn't mind, it would be so, so chill if you just hit that subscribe button. You're already here. You're already in front of your computer or your phone. It's a big red button. It's very fun to press. And you can give a like and a comment down below as well. Turn on that notification bell and I will see you guys next week when I guess we talk about Club 33. Unless there's something else you want to hear about, leave that down in the comments below or join the Patreon and add it in there. Thank you guys so much for watching and I'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.